Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. Basis would uh, would prove to be a, 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 a let's say this a valuable investment. Um, so God, I, I pray and ask for um, your words, your strength, your endurance, your confidence, all the things that that I am not. God, I just need you to be those things for me today. I pray all this in the sweet name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, let me kick off by saying Happy Mother's Day. Um, Mother's Day is a, a bittersweet holiday for, for many of us uh, in the room. It's, it's a day of great celebration. It's awesome. It's fun. It's, it's also a day of grief. Uh, it can be a, a day of suffering. It can be a day of sadness. And, and so I want to start off by at least saying Happy Mother's Day. Uh, and just a reminder that, that being a, a mom is not limited to being a biological mother. Uh, being a mom is not limited to being a, an adoptive parent or a foster parent. Really, being a mom is about just standing in the gap. Uh, there's a lot of moms in this room that have mommed me well for the last seven years. And so thank you for momming me, okay? And not just me, but others in the room uh, as well. One of the greatest joys is, is getting to uh, just have God redeem my own personal story within our church. Uh, as women step in and just step into the gap that, that my mom did not know how to feel, fill in her life. So thank you for that. For those of you that are moms, thank you so much for all the effort, all the time. Uh, I have an incredible story for Samson uh, today. Uh, praise the Lord that Samson is not your son, okay? Um, he's a mess. That's what we're going to get into today. I should have just made that the big idea. Samson is a mess. That would have been a good uh, big idea for you. I don't know that Debbie has all of my notes for today because I ended up uh, getting a migraine and didn't get everything submitted. And so uh, here's what I, I do have for you. Uh, in the story of Samson, what we've seen so far, really in the story of Joshua and Judges, is that we've seen Israel walk from commitment to complacency to compromise. Almost every week, uh, I've mentioned this to you. So commitment complacency and compromise. And we've seen this pattern in Israel. And what we've learned throughout the book of Joshua and Judges so far is that this is really just our um, rhythm for our own lives, that we regularly walk through commitment, complacency, and compromise, just like Israel has done as well. And last week, I got to kick off the story of Samson, just the, the first part of that chapter for you. And God came in and he consecrated Samson before birth. And what that means is that God came in in his sovereignty, and he told Samson's family that they were going to have a son. They were barren. They could not have kids. He said, God said, you're going to have a son. I'm going to consecrate him from birth. He's going to be a Nazarite. He's going to be set apart as holy regardless of how Samson responds. God is going to be seen as holy and as blameless. God picks this anti-hero, if I may. If you um, are familiar with Marvel movies, you might recall the, the anti-hero Deadpool. Anybody familiar with who Deadpool is? He's like the worst hero and not the, simultaneously the best hero, if I may. This is who Samson is, okay? Just to be clear, as parents, don't let your kids watch Deadpool, okay? It's a terrible movie for your kids to watch. It's totally, you'll be in sin if you do that, all right? 
But that's who Samson is. Samson is this anti-hero, and yet God uses him. And so the big idea that I used last week, if you have it, Debbie, you can throw it up. If not, I'm just going to share it with you. The same big idea I had last week is the same for this week, and it's this, God is sovereign, and humanity is responsible. And what I mean by that is that God is completely in control of every single aspect of everything that happens, and simultaneously, humanity is responsible for their actions. This is what we see all throughout the book of Joshua so far. It's what we've seen in the book of Judges. It's what we've seen in Samson, where God has set Samson apart. He said, you're going to be holy. And what we're going to see is that God still holds Samson accountable for his actions. Hard for us to wrap our minds around, but it's the reality of what happens. So I have three points for you if you're a note taker. Not going to be on the screen, but here's three points for you if you want to grab out one of those connection cards and take notes. Great opportunity to do that. Three points I have for you is this. Samson's relationship to the Philistines. We're going to camp out and look at how Samson engaged the Philistines. The second thing is Samson's relationship to Delilah. It's a total mess. Their relationship is a complete and utter mess. And then we're going to see Samson's relationship to God, where it appears that God would have left Samson, but he doesn't ever actually leave Samson. He just momentarily removes his strength from him. So three points, Samson's relationship to the Philistines, to Delilah, and then to God. Sound good? All right, I'm trying my best here, so bear with me. First point, Samson's relationship to the Philistines. In order to properly understand what is happening here in the text, we have to do a little bit of a recap, especially if you're here today as a guest or maybe if you're watching online and you're not certain of what all's been happening in Samson, we have to do a recap. So verse four, Debbie, if you could put it up for me, says this. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. I love it. It says after this. Somebody say after what? Yeah, we have to figure out what's happening. Okay, if you've been following along here in this reading plan, you'll know that Samson has not been the most ideal son. Uh, Samson's parents have not been the most ideal parents. Uh, They were just going along in the culture, worshiping cultural gods, doing their own thing. Simultaneously, they experienced infertility, right? They could not have a baby. They were barren, and so God steps in, as I mentioned a moment ago. And and not only that, but not only were they barren and outcast, or not only were they barren, but they were also outcast. So his whole family, Samson's whole family, is a complete and total, utter mess. They cannot fit in anywhere. There is no love for them anywhere. And God calls Samson to be a Nazarite from birth. Well, I didn't mention this a lot last week, but what does it mean to be a Nazarite from birth? We know that it meant that he was, the Samson was holy. It means that he was set apart. But what was he specifically supposed to do? As a Nazarite, men and women alike would volunteer to be Nazarites. They would, they would voluntarily say, hey, we're going to be a Nazarite. And what that means is that they would, they would willfully say, we're going to set ourselves apart as Nazarites. We're not going to eat of, of the grapevine. We're not going to drink wine or strong drink. We um, are not going to cut our hair. We're going to let our hair grow. And, and we're not allowed to touch dead people or dead Animals, And so the, the goal of that Nazarite vow was not to just kind of look like the modern day hipster, if I may, or some hippie for their time, but rather it was so that they would actually be set apart, uh, physically set apart. So that whenever people would look at them, when they would look at these Nazarites, they would say, man, there's something different about these people. There's something extraordinary about these people. And so men and women alike would volunteer. They would say, hey, we're going to be a Nazarite. For Samson, he did not volunteer. We have a, a, a term that we use around Heights community called voluntold. 
okay? Sometimes you get voluntold to do some stuff. If you don't sign up for a team in our church, you're eventually going to get voluntold, okay? And we're going to tell you, this is a great place for you to serve. And we're just going to sign you up on Planning Center, and you'll find yourself standing outside greeting people. That's the way it works here. It's called voluntold. This is what happens to Samson, okay? Samson did not volunteer. God stepped in in his sovereignty and said, hey, you're going to, this is what you're going to do. And you're going to respond in this way. Well, how does Samson respond to this vow? Here's how he responds, moms. Uh, Samson, this son, breaks every single aspect of the vow. He literally breaks every single piece of it. The first thing that Samson does when he comes on the scene is he marries a Philistine. That's a no-no. He wasn't supposed to marry any Philistine women. His parents pleaded with him, Don't, do you have to marry her, they say. There's all these Israelite women. Could you not marry one of them? He's like, no, she looks, quote, right in my own eyes, if you remember that from last week. And then he gets mad at these men, and he kills 30 of them because they wouldn't answer a riddle. He's kind of a spoiled brat, isn't he? And then he goes on and kills a lion, and then he eats honey from inside of the lion, which is just disgusting. He's just gross at this point. Then he kills another slew of people. He broke the city gate, and then he slept with a Philistine prostitute, okay? Imagine that being your son. Happy Mother's Day, okay? (laughs) This is who he is. Finally then, Samson falls in love with Delilah, and she is a complete and total train wreck. She's emotionally dependent. She's narcissistic. She's greedy. She's selfish. There's this weird codependency that they have on each other that we're going to get into. She leaves all that off her dating profile, somehow still brings in Samson, and they get together. It's important to notice to hit that stuff because when it says in verse 4, after that, like we have to be mindful of all these things. Uh, And it's important because what we see in the text is this. Samson, while he was supposed to be set apart from the Philistines, loved the Philistines. He killed the Philistines for sure, but he loved the Philistines. He loved to be in relationship to the Philistines. He loved to worship their cultural, uh, cultural gods. Everything that Samson does, he does in a way that is self-serving and also in a way that moves him closer to the Philistines. Every single chapter that we were to walk through, if we were to just read straight through the, the book of Judges and this portion here on Samson, uh, Samson moves closer and closer and closer into the inner city gates for the Philistines. He's supposed to kill them, but he doesn't kill them. He just gets closer and closer and closer to them. What, what, Samson's relationship, what is Samson's relationship to the Philistines then? It's that he's in love with them, man. He loves every single aspect. He is completely and totally assimilated to the culture of the Philistines. He is assimilated in every single way. He just looks like a Philistine. He doesn't look like an Israelite at all. He doesn't look like someone who's been consecrated. He doesn't look like anyone who's been set apart as holy. He just looks like a mess, assimilated to the culture. That's important. That helps us understand now, okay, as we think about the second point of this thing is Samson's, Delilah, Samson's relationship to Delilah. First, the Philistines, he loves them. The relationship to Delilah is important because we, have, we understand the Philistines helps us understand who he is uh, in light of Delilah. So the first part of Samson's story is from 3,000 feet, if you've been doing the reading plan. It's kind of an overview of who Samson is. As we get into who Delilah is and his relationship here, this is ground level. This is intimate. Like she's going to have him fall asleep on his lap, on her lap. There's an intimacy that is here that the author wants us to see between Delilah and Samson. Let me um, 
Let me read you verse four. Let me continue reading. It says this. And after this, so after this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, uh, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said, seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. This makes no sense at all, does it? No. The Philistines were much different conquerors than all the other conquerors that we've seen so far. Um, The reason I say Samson assimilated to the Philistines is because that's what they would do. The Philistines would assimilate you into the culture. They were tricky. They wouldn't just come in and steamroll you and kill you and and conquer everyone and then just enslave you. They would actually create in you you like a, a dependency. Just as Samson is dependent upon Delilah, he's been dependent on these Philistines. And so that's the way that they would conquer is they would come in and they would use their kind of government authority. Have you seen this meme that's been out lately? This might be inappropriate, so apologize if this is inappropriate, but there's been, he's like, what's he going to (laughs) say? But there's been this meme on Facebook lately that says the nine scariest words that you could ever read is, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Have you guys seen that? Yeah, there's some truth to that, isn't there? Like that's how the Philistines would move. They, They would bring you in. And so there's this codependency that... Samson has on the Philistines is also a codependency that he has on Delilah. What's interesting here, and the reason I share that, is because Delilah has these Philistine lords that come to her. It's not just conquerors. It's not just soldiers that come. It's actually like the political elite are coming to Delilah, and they're saying, hey, we're going to give you this money. What are they doing? They're trying to win her over with finances. They're trying to use her greed and her selfishness. Everything that Delilah and Samson do are completely self-serving. In every single aspect, in every way. And so they come to her and they say, hey, we're going to give you some money if you can seduce this man so that we can conquer his strength. Now, I'm not going to read it all. We had um, Neil read it to us. But three different times, Samson is asked by Delilah, what will allow me to conquer you, basically? What, what will allow me to kill you? And then three different times, Samson says to her uh, a lie. He says, first, if you use seven bowstrings, that'll work. That doesn't work, right? And then he says, no, if you use brand new ropes that have not been used, that'll, that'll hold. He just ripped a gate off of the city, okay? That seven ropes aren't going to do anything. You with me? It doesn't make any sense in the story. Then thirdly, Samson says, well, if you just weave my beautiful dreadlocks together and put a pin in them, that'll work. Every time she thinks, okay, maybe this is it. Maybe this will actually work. None of them ever work. The whole point of this, really, I might be jumping ahead, the whole point of this is this. Like, when you read this, you should think, what the heck is going on here? Like, this is the most ridiculous story I have ever read. That's the way that we should feel whenever we read this. It's a total soap opera, right? You guys familiar with soap operas? I don't don't know about you. I was raised by a grandma, and I was raised by my mom, okay? My mom, not funny, my mom was an addict. My grandma was a saint. You know what they had in common? Soap operas, days of our lives. You guys know what I'm talking about? General Hospital, okay? For you new, for you new generation, Bridgerton. Sinners, just as bad as Deadpool, okay? You should read it and think, what is happening here? Like, this is a complete and total 
mess. Verses 16 through 20, I'm not going to read it all, I'm having a hard time reading. So verses 16 through 20, what happens then is Delilah finally, it says, vexes Samson to death. She literally nags him to death. There's probably some principles we could get into about that, isn't there? Literally, his wife nags him to death. It says, vexed to death. And, and in the, what he finally says is he shares his whole heart with her, and he says, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite from birth. And then Delilah sees, oh, wow, this is, this is, he's actually telling me the truth now. And so then what does she do? She immediately runs to the Philistine lords. She collects that money and then has him fall asleep on her lap. It's like the most corrupt thing she could have done. Just picture it in your mind. It's already happened multiple times. When we hear this relationship, literally the whole thing should lead us to think this. What is happening? Like nothing about this story makes any sense. We we would binge watch it for sure if it was a show. But if you really just think about it, you would be like, what is actually happening here? What, What is going on? Why would they do this. Well, let me try to explain it the best I can. The author here in Judges is taking us for a bit of a ride, if I may. So he starts with Samson's relationship to the Philistines, kind of 30,000 feet in the air. And then he brings that thing in to Delilah, and it's intimate, it's in the bedroom. He's kind of landing the plane for us so that whenever we read this, and we we do most certainly think, man, what is happening in this text? He's also, the author is also then helping us see a picture of ourselves. And so John Milton, uh, who they say is a, uh, how is this, uh, an English poet from the 1600s, um, next to Shakespeare, they would compare John Milton to Shakespeare. In this poem that I researched this week, he has a, a simple line, will not be on the screen, but it, it says this. He writes in this poem of Samson, O mirror of our fickle state, O mirror of our fickle state. State. And what he's saying in this poem is this, Samson is a reflection of Israel. Everything that Samson is doing is a direct reflection of what Israel has done. Here's the left hook. If that's true, that Samson is a reflection of Israel, then Samson is also a reflection of us. Everything that Samson is doing here is exactly what we're doing as well. And so as we read this, it, the author writes it for us to draw questions. Like, why wouldn't Samson, why would he not keep his identity? Why wouldn't he remain consecrated? Why wouldn't he just walk out being holy? Like the story is written so that whenever we look at Samson, we look at Samson and we think, man, I'm not so much different here. Like if you think about it, like as a Christian, why would we leave God like Samson left God, but we do all the time? Why would we abandon our calling to be holy and blameless and perfect regardless of how we respond, spiritually set apart as holy and blameless as Samson was, so also we are, and yet we don't believe that to be true. Like, just think about some of these things. Why would we flirt with sin that is going to kill us? That's all. It's going to kill and steal and destroy everything that we love. That's what idolatry does. And so we look at Samson and we think, man, he's insane whenever it comes to Delilah. And yet the author is saying, so are you, O mirror of your fickle heart. He's a direct reflection, a direct picture as to who we are. This relationship between Samson and Delilah is a direct reflection of our idolatry. This is a story written from God's vantage point. The reason it looks so ridiculous in the story is because that's what God thinks when he looks at us as we're steeped in idolatry. He's thinking, he's looking at us and saying, what is wrong with you? 
Do you not understand what I've done for you? Do you not see that you've been set apart as holy? Yet you keep trying to achieve. You keep trying to use your own strength. You keep assimilating to the culture. You no longer look like Christ. You only look like the culture. We're no different than Samson in this. I mean, think about it. Samson's been given this incredible promise of victory, and yet he continues to choose himself. Do we not do the same thing? We've been given this incredible promise of victory where Jesus is going to return to collect us, and yet day after day after day, we can continue to trust ourselves, to trust our own strength. What's interesting is I was thinking through the scriptures this uh, last week. There's another story that's similar to this. Um, it's a story between King David and Nathan. Are you familiar with that? There's this King David, who you should be well aware of, Nathan, who you might not be as aware of. Uh, but King David uh, is told a story by his good friend, Nathan. Uh, what King David had done, he was a pretty wayward child as well, similar to Simpson, Samson, is this. King David uh, saw a woman who was attracted to him. Her name was Bathsheba. Uh, King David swoops in, takes Bathsheba, sleeps with her. Turns out she's married. So then King David uh, sends her husband, Bathsheba's husband, to the front lines and has him killed. Great idea, right? Works out well. Nathan, King David's good friend, comes and, and tells him this story. And he, Nathan tells a story and he says, hey, there was this poor man who had a sheep, had a goat. Uh, loved this goat, provided for this goat, took care of this goat, managed this goat, raised this goat like his own child. Loved this goat. And then there was this rich man who had to provide a meal for some guest. And the rich man swoops in and he takes this poor man's goat and he kills that goat and then he uses that goat to provide for his guest, leaving the poor man with nothing. King David freaks out. He's like, the audacity of this man. Like, this man, who is this man? Who does this man think he is? He literally says, this man deserves death. This man should give four times the amount that was taken from him, or, yeah, that, was, that he took. And he's, like, all in this uproar. And then Nathan has this incredible line, if you're familiar with the scripture. So simple, so direct. David's freaking out. Nathan just looks at him and says this, you are the man. You are the man, Nathan told David. That's all the scriptures say about it. You're the man. This is exactly what we see in Samson, O oh, mirror of our fickle self. Everything that happens in Samson is a direct reflection of Israel, and by extension, it is a direct reflection uh, to us. There is only two times even in the scriptures that Samson prays out of all four chapters. Both times are selfish. He prays because he's parched and needs some water, heaven forbid, so he prays for some water. And then whenever he ends up conquering the Philistines, he prays that God would restore his strength to him one more time, not so that he could avenge the Lord, but so that he could avenge his eyesight. Samson is a mess. And God uses him in the midst of God's sovereignty and Samson's responsibility. Samson uses him. Let me, let me ask you this. If you sit here and you think, you know, on this Mother's Day, I just don't feel like I'm that selfish. Maybe you're not, Okay. If you're like me, you probably are. Take a moment to reflect on this. What, do you, what are your primary prayers right now? Are they self-serving? Or are they full of celebration? Or are they constantly asking the Lord for more? Or are you just exalting God? Like, when's the last time you just prayed and just exalted the Father for being good? Just, just a prayer of thankfulness. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. 
Thank you, Jesus, for giving me kiddos. And more often than not, what we pray about tends to be not a kingdom prayer, but a prayer that's really selfish. It has to do with me. It has to do with things that I want, that I need. And so then we look at this thing and we think, okay, so what's the good news in that thing, Corey? There's not really any good news yet. You just told me Samson's a complete mess, and apparently so am I. There is good news, okay? So Samson's relationship to God, last thing I have, and I'll try to be quick uh, for you. There's most certainly good news uh, in the gospel, and it's this. Check this out. Verse 20. Debbie, if you could put it up for me. Verse 20 says this. The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out uh, as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. That does not sound very encouraging, does it? (laughs) Verse 21, and then we'll come back. And the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and brought him down to Gaza, that's the capital, and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison, but the hair of his head began to grow again after he had been shaved. So there's two things that stand out here that I want to finish this up with, and it's this. First and foremost, while it says, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. Let me be clear in doing a quick teaching on this. Uh, God, in the Old Testament, while the Holy Spirit was the exact same, would use the Holy Spirit in different ways. He would send the Holy Spirit to accomplish a goal, to accomplish a mission, a mission uh, to give a prophetic word, and then he would take the Holy Spirit back. It doesn't mean that people weren't saved or they weren't redeemed or anything like that. They're saved and they're redeemed because the person work of Jesus Christ is coming. And there's a day coming where we get to receive the Holy Spirit through Christ in a way that is never leaving. It never leaves us never forsakes us, stays with us forever. So that's important if you're in the room and you're skeptic, you think, oh, God just left him because things got hard. That's not at all what the text says. If you've read the whole book of Joshua and Judges, you would know God has not left him. Rather, God just moved a little bit differently with the Holy Spirit at that point. How do you know that to be true, pastor? Because it says right here in the last bit here, but his hair began to grow. Here's what's in, this is like such a simple text, such a simple statement stood out to me all week this week, but his hair began to grow again after it had been shaved. Here is the good news. Listen, the Nazarite vow for Samson was over the moment he married the Philistine woman. He was no longer a Nazarite at all. Like He broke his vow the day one uh, in the text, and then he kills someone, and he eats honey out of a lion, and does all the things that I just said. The only thing that Samson had not done was get his hair cut. And finally, like, he comes to a point where Delilah, where I think he genuinely believes that God is not present for him anymore. And, I mean, why else would he finally say, hey, just cut my hair, and then I'll be like every other man? And so what's incredible about this is this. Samson broke this Nazarite vow day one. And the whole purpose of the story and the whole reality for him saying, for the text saying, but his hair began to grow is not because God would move and come and do all these things. It's because the reality is this, God never left Samson because God is sovereign. Like the good news is is that, man, you can be a complete and utter total mess. You can be in the room Mother's Day with kids that are a complete and utter total mess. And yet there's a reality where if they are truly in Christ, that God never leaves them or forsakes them. 
Like the, the power for Samson was not a, uh, a power that he manifested himself with strength. Rather, this power for Samson was a power that was given to him by God the Father in his sovereignty so that Samson would respond, so that Samson would. The hope was that Samson would come and say, hey, I'm going to conquer the Philistines. And Samson could have done that. If he would have chose obedience and walked out this life of faith, maybe he could have just came in and conquered the Philistines and then bumped on. Samson, in his own will, chose to go about this a really, really difficult way. And yet, regardless of how wayward Samson was, the father never leaves him. That's incredibly good news for us. It's good news for us because Samson is a reflection of us. What's beautiful about Samson being a reflection of us is that God is still a reflection of God. He has not changed. He has not wavered. He's not left us. He's not forsake us. He is 100% totally in because of the person and the work of Jesus, not because of our good works. And so when you think about this, then last thing I'm going to say uh, in 1 Peter, I don't know if you have that, Debbie, or not. If you do, put it up. If not, no big deal. It says this, but you are a chosen race. This is us, church, as Christians. You are a chosen race, a, holy priest, um, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. There is a reality that we as Christians, and for lack of a better term, are modern-day Nazarites. We don't have to eat of the vine. We don't have to refrain from straw drink. We don't have to let our hair grow. All we have to do is commit, um, is to profess a radical faith and dependency on Jesus Christ. Jesus is the perfect priest. He's the perfect race. He is the, literally everything that we need. He walks a life of perfection. He dies a death that we deserve. He resurrects the new life. And listen, he sends us his Holy Spirit. Not, not so that God can send a spirit and then remove that spirit. He sends us a spirit so that we can keep that spirit for eternity with us forever. This is incredible that we get to be consecrated and set apart for the Lord to do what? To proclaim his excellencies. No different than what Samson was called to do. So also we were called to do, not to assimilate to culture, uh, but to be in the culture. And as we're being formed and reformed in here, so also we get to be formed and reformed within the culture as well. Sound good? Cool. Stand up with me and say communion. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians. It says this. Uh, if you were unable to grab a communion cup, there might be some up here in the baskets. You can feel free to walk up and grab one. It says this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So for those of you that are in Christ, let me just encourage you in, in this. As you enter into communion, it's a, a beautiful picture of the gospel for you. You want to take communion as often as we gather the little wafer represents Christ's body that was broken for you, the cup represents Christ's blood that was spilt on your behalf. Uh, the reminder of communion is this, that Jesus is the one who consecrates us. Jesus is the one who sets us apart. Jesus is the one who earns our way. Jesus is the one who gives us salvation. There's nothing in and of ourselves or our strength. Samson thought it was about him. Communion is a direct reminder that it's not. It's just about Jesus. And so as you take communion, let me encourage you to spend a moment in, in prayer. Uh, as Samson tended to uh,
pray for himself, pray selfish prayers, uh, pray things that were just self-serving for him. Let me encourage you, whether you've taken communion or not already, uh, as these guys lead us on to the next song, uh, take a moment to just pray. And pray, just listen, just prayers of celebration. Uh, communion is a meal that is celebratory. It's beautiful. It's incredible. It's a messianic banquet that we've been invited into. And so for your response today, let me encourage you just to do that. Just spend some time praying and thanking the Lord.